delicate chain of, of our lives, and everybody's got one, and they all link up at some point, and free, ours link up in a meeting of Alcoholics Anonymous. Doesn't make any difference how low or how high we went. Apparently, it was God's perfect succession of events and moments, God moments and God things we avoided and things we experienced to get me here. Well, hello, friends of Bill W. and other friends. You have landed on Sober Speak. My name is John M. I am an alcoholic, and we are glad you are all here, especially newcomers. Newcomers, that is, both to recovery as a whole and newcomers to this podcast. Sober Speak is a podcast about recovery centered around the 12 steps of Alcoholics Anonymous. My job here on Sober Speak is simple. My job is to provide a platform to the amazing stories of recovery all around us. Consider Sober Speak, if you will, your meeting between meetings. Please remember, we do not speak for AA or any 12 step community. We represent only ourselves. We are here to share our experience, strength, and hope with those who wish to come along for the ride. Take what you want and leave the rest at the curb for the trash man to pick up. Hello, my little chickadees. That was the voice of Mr. Tom H. that you heard at the beginning of this here episode, episode number Dos Uno Trace 213. And you are going to hear so much more from him in just un momento. But first things first, this episode is being brought to you by Patricia and Laura and Tanya and Dell. So you ask, what exactly, John M., did Patricia and Laura and Tanya and Dell do? Well, they went to our website www.soberspeak.com and they made a little a contribution and I want to say thank you so much to Patricia, Laura, Tanya, and Dell. This episode is coming right out to Ewan's. And for those of you new to the pod, the reason I use the term Ewan's is because my father is from Tennessee and uh, that is terminology that folks, well, at least folks like my dad, who is a self-proclaimed hillbilly, uses up in that neck of the woods sometimes. Ewan's, it's just like saying y'all, but it's even a little more Southern than that. I... John M., just another bozo on the bus, will indeed be the chairperson for this meeting between meetings, and I am truly honored and privileged to serve all of you listening in. So take a seat, if you will, around this virtual table, and let's get started. Now remember, four out of five sponsors surveyed recommend SoberSpeak as a way to improve your sobriety. I'm making all this up on the fly. I've never actually did a survey a sponsor, but I, I would just imagine they would agree four out of five of them. You know, I could be wrong, but nonetheless, here we go. All right. So 
So let me just tell you what's going on. First, I'm going to be uh, uh, probably not too long-winded on this because the lovely Mrs. M is uh, cooking up some vittles down there in the kitchen, and I am uh, hungry. And you know, and this is I'll just be honest with you all, um, I, I told her right before I'm coming up here, it's been a, oh, just a day. Okay, I'll just we all have stressful days, right? Mine has been, it doesn't even matter, right? We all have stressful days. But here's what I told the lovely Mrs. M. I said, you know what, I'm going to go record something on the podcast or work on the podcast a little bit, because you know what, when I do that, you guys are actually a stress reliever for me. Uh, in other words, I can come up here, I can kind of get out of myself and all everything that's going on in my little whirlwind of a mind and, uh, and, and be here to share some time with you guys. So thank you for, for being there with me. Um, I, I, I had a little experience this week. I just was thinking about actually, as I was walking up here to make this recording and, so my daughter, my beautiful, wonderful, lovely daughter, she had a flat on the way home from work. Now, it turns out she kind of like uh, mm, rubbed up against the curb a little because somebody cut her off or something like that. I don't know. But nonetheless, it made a flat tire, right? So I was like, hey, you know, hey, flat tires happen, no big deal. So I went down there and I got her and then we brought her back to the house and called the insurance company and they said, hey, you know, we can come out, we could do this and that and this and that. And I was like, all right, that'd be fine. So I got the lovely Mrs. M when we left my daughter here at home and uh, went down there to work with the guy. And eh, this is probably, I don't know, 20 minutes away from the house. Um, went down there to work with the guy uh, who was going to uh, fix the whole situation, right, from insurance. And um, uh, got down there and he said, yeah, all I need is the wheel lock to your car or excuse me, to your, you know, wheel lock to the tires on your car or to your daughter's car. I said, oh yeah, no problem. And I opened up the trunk and there's no wheel lock. And so I call my daughter and I'm like, hey, where is the wheel lock? And she said, oh, well, remember when we had some troubles with the tire a few weeks ago? Well, that wheel lock, they left it in the... They they left it on the seat of my car, and I picked that wheel lock up, and I really like how it felt in my hand. I really like the weight of it. I liked how it felt in my hand, so I brought it up to my room. <laughs> and I said, "Hold on, let me get that straight. The wheel lock is sitting in your room." because you like how it feels in your hand. <laughs> like a little stress reliever or something, I guess, like that. She goes, yeah. I said, okay, well, I'll be back home in just a moment. So I got back home. I got the wheel lock. I got her down there. Went meet the guy with the tire again. It turned out to be like, I don't know, three, four-hour night going back and forth with all this deal and all the insurance and all that sort of stuff. But you know what? I am here today and we are doing just fine. And I don't know why I felt like sharing that, but I, I did. All right. So here is the big announcement again. We are going to have a shindig. 
And what, John M., do you mean by a shindig? Well, we are going to have a Sober Speak Live event. Uh, and that is going to be on December 3rd, Friday night at 7 p.m. Central Time in the Estados de Unidos. Is that how you say uh, United States in Spanish? You know what I'm talking about. I'm talking about the United States of America. Nonetheless, we are going to be having that. And where is it going to be, John? Well, it's going to be at the Grace Avenue United Methodist Church in Frisco, Texas. And you say, John M., do I have to remember all this? No, we do not have to remember all this. All you got to do is go to that website, www.soberspeak.com. Com, and all the information is there for you. In fact, I think uh, the lovely Mrs. M put on one of those little, uh, you know, annoying pop-ups that come to a website when you go there. But even if that is not there, just go to the tab. I think you call it. Is that what you call it? You're right. A tab that says Sober Speak Live Event. So, if you are coming to that event and you do need child care, please email me, John, J-O-H-N, at SoberSpeak.com, and we can have you child care available. But we don't want the folks to be there if there are no childs, you, your children. You know what I'm saying. So um, anyway, we're looking forward to having you. We're going to have food, drinks, music, and like I said, child care if needed. Please email me at john at j-o-h-n at soberspeak.com. So you're out there in the Netherlands, right? And you're saying to yourself, wow, I really wish I could go to that event, John, but I'm a plane trip away, or i just not going to be able to make it, and I'm feeling kind of down. Well, have no fear. Do you know why you should have no fear? Because you can join us virtually, that is. We are going to be streaming this wonderful event. Oh, and I don't think I even told you. Who's going to be at this event, John M.? Well, that will be Reno John A., who will be sitting down with me on an interview, and we will also have the one and only Mary Lynn B, whose music... Oh, you know what I'm going to do? I'm going to play one of her songs at the uh, end of this episode. Uh, in fact, you know what? I just thought about something. I, through the magic of recording and, you know, audio editing and all that sort of stuff, I think I'm going to play one of her songs right after this, and then we'll go into the episode. And so anyway, you're going to get a, to hear a taste of no you're going to get to hear an audio clip from mary lynn b coming up right after this little introduction here and uh anyway we've had her on the podcast before and she'll be playing all that music but once again back to where i left i'm so sorry i'm so sorry i get distracted so easy um if you are out there in, I don't know, Finland, or, or you're in Minnesota, or you're in South America, or you're Africa, or wherever you are, and you want to join us, well, how would I do that, John M.? All you got to do is be in the secret Facebook group. So you go to Facebook, and if you're not in there already, just um, uh, search for Sober Speak Secret Group. And you can find us and you can ask for admission and we'll get you on in there and we will be streaming the event live, both visual and audio. Yes, you can see everybody. Now, we're just going to show the people on the stage, not the people in the audience, but you get the general idea. And here's another piece to the equation. 
Say you, I'm sure you've been listening to this podcast sometimes and you say to yourself, gosh, I wish John had asked this question. Well, that night in the Facebook group, you will be able to ask your questions of Mr. Reno John, and we would love to have you there. So if you're not in the secret Facebook group, ask for admission and we'll get you in there and you can attend that event with us. Once again, it's December 3rd, Friday night, 7 p.m. live central time. Oh, and we're in, and then you say to yourself, well, what if I can't make the Facebook live event? either, John. Well, you're in luck. We are going to record the episode, both the question and answer by me and the question and answer by the audience, and we will release those episodes as a... Um, uh, as an episode, we will release those recordings as an episode at some point in the future. All right, now I'm getting really hungry. I'm going to have to go down and see Mrs. M. I've been talking way too long. All right, so now we are on, though, to our featured guest of the week. It is Tom H. Tom H., and this one is called Delicate Chain of Our Lives. Tom has been sober for 37 years, and he got sober on Christmas Day of 1983. He comes from a Midwest family, excuse me, Midwest family that was a, a bunch of Irish Catholic Democrat baseball fans, as he says. We talk about Tom's moment of clarity that brought him into Alcoholics Anonymous, the gift of desperation, dealing with fear, his what he calls husband in law. <laughs> it's a, quite an interesting story on that. Uh, and his quote, not recommended unquote relationship in Alcoholics Anonymous. All right, everybody, sit back, enjoy this one. Mr. Tom H. And we will, well, uh, first, I'm going to play that uh, little uh, song by Mary Lynn. And then we will have. Tom, then we will have plenty of oh, listener feedback at the end of this episode. Enjoy. To my bread one something to happen soon This old man said, excuse me, does this belong to you? He tossed me a shiny gold coin, the red To that on self the truth Then he told me to reach Sometimes when I'm lonely, or when fear 
sugar fills my soul I remember that little old man in the park And I rubbed that coin of gold I can hear him say, reach everybody so today we are sitting here with mr tom h and so tom h i'm gonna go ahead and let you introduce yourself please give your sobriety date if you wish and tell people where you live in this great land of ours please okay, thanks y'all my name is tom h i'm an alcoholic uh I, my sober day because the most high god did for me today i can never do for myself i haven't had a drink all day today or any other day since christmas day of 1983 and i'm amazed and grateful for that i reside in dallas texas north dallas my home group is dallas north alcoholics christmas day christmas day <laughs> what a gift <laughs> right a gift to your family or whoever was around you at the time i'm sure (laughs) (laughs) but that is quite a gift that's fantastic so 1983 1983 help me with the math there that's how many years 37 be 38 in december if i make it till december and so far today's going pretty good that's great fantastic tom so the reason that we are together is because uh, Bob S., who has been on the the podcast before, he's got a couple of episodes, actually, and they were both entire, oh gosh, for, uh, Marine Force. Force one. Recon. Yes, exactly. Yep. Uh, and I got a lot of comments about that. Uh, as you know, he has SWAT teams and all kinds of drama <laughs> in his yes. story. Uh, but he reached out to me and he says, hey, I got a guy that you have just got to have on the podcast. And so uh, we scheduled some time together. Um, Tom actually came out of here. We're in uh, what I call Studio A, Tom. Studio A, okay. <laughs> it's just a, as you can see, we're in the guest bedroom upstairs in my house. <laughs> <laughs> so, um, but interesting, we were talking before this and you were saying that uh, you and Bob are... 
a little bit different. In other words, Bob does have all the drama, but talk talk to us a little bit about you. Yeah, it's really interesting because Bob came into Dallas North Alcoholics Anonymous, and I had about a year sober. Matter of fact, we celebrate together. We've celebrated 36 consecutive years together of Alcoholics Anonymous. Uh, and it's really interesting because Bob came in, and you've heard the drama of his story. Uh, and mine's pretty just cut and dry, just kind of, you know, uh, you know, a little alcoholic from the small towns of the Midwest and Catholic Irish alcoholic and grew up and an alcohol in the family and didn't drink for a long time. But when I started, it got problematic and ended up in AA. Bob and I became good friends and and we've done many things together over all these 36 years. And and the other day when he and I kind of did a tag team uh, steps over at Harbor Group in Fort Worth, it occurred to me that between the two of us, Bob's drama and all the stuff he went through and all the legal problems and my kind of just one step at a time, you know, and kind of a middle of the road kind of thing. If you think you haven't gone deep enough, I can tell you still qualify because that's me. If you think you've gone too deep, you still qualify because that's Bob. And so between the two of us, you have no excuse for not getting sober. <laughs> that's right. And I do, you know, I think about that sometimes when I'm recording these folks and we release it and and all the drama like like i said bob had swat teams he was <laughs> he shooting <did>. up jails <laughs> he i mean oh my goodness you know all the vietnam stuff and yeah. and and he, he was about, a real he was a real hero in vietnam yeah. highly decorated marine real right. hero real war hero if you have if you don't know one get to know him yeah yeah he is really such a good guy and you know i think about that when i'm releasing these things where you know people who are just maybe kind of discovering the program about what they may think about you know have i gone down far enough and like i'm glad you're here because that's the point you're bringing up yeah you don't have to go all that way down now i used to ask god you know you know why did you let me go so far why did you let me get to where i got uh and one day and, and i don't hear you know, I don't see flashes of light. I don't give Bill's hot flash like it says in the book. And uh, But I get these little knowings, and suddenly I just kind of knew, uh, Tom, you could have gotten off that elevator anytime you wanted. You chose to ride it as far as you wrote it. And I think that's and as my uh, uh, my observation. Like I said, my opinion is debatable. My experience is not. My experience in AA over the years is if people get off when they're hurt enough that they want to stop. You know, and there's a, one of our guys in our men's, we have a great men's group on Tuesday nights. At, at COVID. We, when the COVID hit, we decided to go ahead and meet anyway outside rather than not meet. There were about five or six of us. And now, 19 months later, whatever it is, there's anywhere from 35 to 50 guys every Tuesday night shows up in the parking lot. We're still out in the parking lot because wow. we like it out there. What happens when it rains? Uh, we've only been rained out two times. In all these times, uh, we and if it gets cold, we have a little bonfire. We bring a fire pit and sit around the fire. Phenomenal meeting, phenomenal meeting. And one of the guys that goes to that meeting says there is a step zero, and the step zero says this just has to stop. And I cleaned that up a little bit from the way he expresses it, <laughs> but he says this has to stop. That's step zero. Then you're ready to take some of these other steps. Do you ever have people walking by the meeting wondering what you're doing? Oh yeah. Yeah, they, they go by, and they're getting kind of used to us now. For a while, we had people calling the fire department because we had a bonfire out in the parking lot, <laughs> and the police came by a couple times, And but they know us now, and, and we're all settled <laughs> in. They know we're a recovery group, but uh, we get guys, we give out desire chips there. We get guys coming in brand new, and and uh, 
And we started out to be an all men's meeting. And then some ladies showed up and said, I need a meeting really badly. So we invited them to sit in. So it's still basically a men's meeting, but uh, a few ladies are coming on a fairly regular basis. Now, as long as they understand, it's a men's meeting and it, the language is going to be manlike. <laughs> <laughs> like the guy who says all this stuff has to stop. Yeah, exactly right. <laughs> Step zero. <laughs> yes. <laughs> well, I I know some ladies that could probably outdo oh, some of the men in the group, and I know you know that. Absolutely. <laughs> strong women, strong women in sobriety. Yeah. Very strong women. All right, so let's talk about Tom and your oh, story a little. Tom H., so you mentioned the Midwest there. You grew up in the Midwest? Grew up in Illinois, little bitty farm town in Illinois of 150 people. Little farm town, Broadwell, Illinois, right in the center of the state, about halfway between Chicago and Springfield. Um, and I grew up in this little town. It was Tom H. I'm Irish. If you knew my last name, it's very Irish. Yes. Uh, and my uh, grandfather was Tom H., uh, my dad's oldest brother was a Tom H, and they were both very successful men. So they would pat me on the head and say, you're going to be special because you're a Tom H. And so I grew up with this manifest destiny of greatness that they imposed upon me because mm -hmm. of my name. Uh, and Charles Schultz, the philosopher and cartoonist, said there's no heavier burden than a great potential. Uh, so I grew, up with, <laughs> I grew up with that potential. And so by the time I was five or six years old, I decided I was going to have to get to college. So um, I started planning. I was a little obsessive compulsive when I was young. Uh, so I figured out how to get to college, started working hard and, and maxed out on my grades and concentrated on that. And I figured sports was going to be the only way I'd get there. So I concentrated on sports and ended up getting some uh, uh, scholarship at the University of Arkansas. I had several scholarship offers in football and track and ended up at the University of Arkansas on a track scholarship. You're a hog. I was a hog, yeah. Yeah, I still am. Once a hog, always a hog. Right, called the pigs. Yeah. Pig yeah. suey. Yeah. Initially, I, d I didn't start drinking until I was uh, my sophomore year of college. I didn't have my first drink until really? my 20th year, yeah, just before my 21st birthday, because I was absolutely terrified of drink because it would interfere with my destiny. Uh, and, wow. And the same thing with women. I stayed away from women and alcohol all the way through high school. Never had a drink, never messed around with women because I, I knew that that, and back in those days, that was back in the 50s. Went to college in 64. Back in those days, the worst thing you can do is, you know, get caught drinking beer uh, or get a girl pregnant. Right. And then your life is over. Uh -huh. And so I avoided those things. And, and so was there any particular reason that you were afraid of both the women and the alcohol? Or was that just something you just kind of knew from societal? Yeah, interesting question. Uh, I got, matter of fact, I got thinking about that just the other day. I'd heard the stories about my father. He was a heavy alcoholic, uh, but he never drank. He stopped drinking when I was born. I never wow. saw him take a drink the rest of his life. Just before my aunt died, after my father passed away, just before my aunt died, I asked her if dad ever went to any AA meetings. And she said she thinks he might have. Because every once in a while, he'd say something like, it's just one day at a time. And it's not the last drink that gets you. It's the first drink. Mm -hmm. He never didn't go to meetings that I know of. But apparently, this was back in, uh, I was born in 45. And that's when he quit. So this was early, early, early in AA history. And apparently, he'd caught a few meetings, and it worked for him. Wow. Was there any other alcoholism oh, around Oh, yeah, that? a whole family. Okay. You know, um, you know, the Irish families. You know, it's the only difference between an Irish wedding and an Irish wake is there's <laughs> one less drunk at the wake. You know, so there's alcohol everywhere in the old Irish families. It's part of our culture. 
And I've also learned that the, the Irish have a physiological predisposition to alcoholism. We process it just like American Indians and a few other cultures oh. have a predisposition for it. So not only is it cultural, but there's, phys- there's a certain physiological component too as well. But my great uncles were all alcoholics and they were cooks, chefs. You know, one was a chef in Chicago, one of Al Capone's favorites. One was a chef on the railroad between Chicago and the Northwest. And one was a chef out at the lumber yards in the great Northwest. And all of them were alcoholics. Wow. But my my grandfather did not drink. That's because my grandmother was a stern little German woman. She wouldn't let him. <laughs> <laughs> so the two Tom H's before you, the, yep. the, the grandfather didn't drink. Uh, and we think that maybe because, like you said, the grandmother was involved. He made Applejack, which sneak out to the barn every now and then. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> Apparently. <laughs> Applejack, not the cereal. No, this is a <laughs> fermented apple juice you would make. <laughs> Weren't there, wasn't there a cereal named Applejack? There was, yeah. yeah. <laughs> I got you. So, all right. So, you have this kind of... Uh, uh, I'm sorry. Were you Catholic as well? Oh yeah. Yeah. Okay. Oh yeah. Yeah. Right. We, you know, it was it was we were Irish Catholic Democrat baseball fans. My great uncle, <laughs> the one that I told Uncle Tom, played professional baseball, and he made it to AAA and had a chance to go on to uh, the majors. And he got called up once, I think, for a little bit. My other uncle, Uncle Old Uncle Pat, was a baseball player out in the Great Northwest. He played against the old Negro leagues, which was as good as the majors in those days. Right. Uh, and so baseball was a big part of our family. My dad had a chance to play professional baseball and didn't go because he was drinking hard. And so the baseball was part of the athletics and the baseball was part of our family. That's why it was part of my plan for the future. Because in my aunt, for aunt Helen's house, Aunt Helen, Uncle John, dad's sister, on the wall there was a picture of the Pope, Jack Kennedy, and Jackie Robinson. Wow. <laughs> so that, that was our religion, Catholic, <laughs> Irish, alcoholic, baseball fans. <laughs> <laughs> that's great okay so so your girl and i also wanted to ask you real quick about your 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 athleticism and you, so you went to arkansas you got a scholarship yeah. there yeah. for both football and track uh no, i didn't go there on football went there on track one of the things i talk about john i'm glad you kind of brought that up and, and something kind of how we ended up together i've come to realize that there's this delicate thread through our lives and and you know that thread i say if everybody's listening to this if they envision their life as a thread of a certain color and that, that trails out behind our lives and takes us all over the globe and all over the world and in and out of prisons and recovery centers and hospitals and and divorce courts and halls of congress and great stuff but it all comes together at a point in a room at one time mm-hmm. for a purpose so I got, then I realized one day it's a delicate chain. It's not a thread, it's a chain. What if one link had been missing? What if I'd missed one, one more drink or one less drink? One more marriage, one less marriage. One, what, if one th- what if I'd taken that phone call instead of not taking it? What if I had not met Bob S., but I did meet Bob S.? And the story of how I got to Alcoholic Anonymous is so weird. And the same way with the University of Arkansas, because I, uh, I had scholarships to four or five colleges in the Midwest, football scholarships. Now, my high school track coach went out to University of Colorado to get his master's degree. His roommate was a guy named Rodney Ryan, who was from University of Arkansas, getting his doctorate degree. So he convinced my high school track coach to go to Arkansas the following year to work on his doctorate. Rodney Ryan happened to be head of the phys ed department at the University of Arkansas. And so when he went down there to um, uh, get his housing put together, he took me with him. We took a transcript of my grades, which were 
you know, ab- obsessively, compulsively, obsessively high. I'd scored well on the ACTs and took some uh, things of me high jumping. Uh, so we went in there on a Thursday. By Friday afternoon, I had a full scholarship at the University of Arkansas. Wow. Uh, and they asked me what I wanted to do, and I hadn't thought about that. I just wanted to go to college. I didn't realize you had to do something at college. <laughs> Uh, and I said, oh, architecture, I guess, because years earlier, uh, I had sent off one of these little matchbook things, draw me contest yeah. to, to Milwaukee. And a guy drove from Milwaukee down to sign me up for their art school. And I was only 14 years old. I was a freshman in high school. I was a little young to go to their college. But his, he, I wasn't even there. My mom had shown him some of my drafting classes, drawings, and said, that, well, your son should go, on, should go to college. If he can't go to college, let him come back and he can go to our art school. He said he should major in something like architectural engineering. So I'm sitting in front of the dean of men at the University of Arkansas. I'm now on scholarship. Now I have to get enrolled. Sitting in front of the dean of men, he says, what do you want to be? What do you want to major in? I said, I don't know. My mind went back to that guy. And I says, well, architecture, I guess. They took me over and enrolled me in the architectural school. Uh, and of all the scholarships I had, that was the only school that had an architectural program. Wow. And so I'm an architect today. I still love it. It's my passion. <laughs> and so I said, okay. So they signed me up. Uh, they usually only take 60 people. That was the only year time in the history of Arkansas. They took 61 people. I was the 61st person in the class that year. Um, and so it was just, uh, astounding. Uh, and so, uh, I lost that scholar. I, I'm five foot 10 slow. I'm a white guy. And I was a high jumper, you know, uh, and just God's sense of humor is amazing. I get a scholarship for high jumping. I mean, I did pretty good. I jumped six feet four and I was five feet 10, you know, but I, it just, just high enough to get me in Arkansas, but I wasn't good enough to keep that scholarship, but I lost it the next year to some football players and that's okay. But I went back on my own from then on. So it's just, again, that delicate wow. chain. What if, what if, what if, what do you call it? The delicate thread, delicate chain of, of our lives. Oh, yeah. And everybody's got one, and they all link up at some point. And free, ours link up in a meeting of Alcoholics Anonymous. And so doesn't make any difference how low or how high we went. Apparently, it was God's perfect succession of events and moments, God moments and God things we avoided and things we experienced to get me here. Let me do a little break real quick. We will be continuing our conversation with Tom H. in just a moment. Just a reminder, you are listening to Sober Speak. You can find us on the World Wide Web at www.soberspeak.com. You can also find the donate button on our website, which you can use if and only if the Spirit moves you to do such. Please keep in mind this is a podcast funded by you, the listener. All right, so now back to Mr. Tom. All right, so uh, another thing that you brought up there just a, a little bit ago, and, and I, I have a tendency to sometimes, sometimes we go linear, sometimes we're not, but you, <laughs> you had mentioned one less wife, yeah. so it sounds like you've been married a few times. Two times. Were, two times. times? Yeah, and I'm married for the third time now. This young lady I met in Alcoholics Anonymous, and there's a whole story there that uh, we've been married uh, 31 years, been together 35, been married 31. So Wow. So I, I don't know if I figured out how to do it. She and I say, you want to try it again one more day? And we say, yeah, let's try it again tomorrow. <laughs> Today was pretty good. Let's try it again tomorrow. <laughs> I suppose I should talk a little bit about how my moment of clarity and how I admitted I was now calling. Let's go there. I'd okay. like that. Um, Christmas Eve in 1983. Anybody that's old enough to remember that here in Dallas was a bad ice storm blew in. 
and my uh, my mother was going to be alone on Christmas Day, uh, and so she call, it was five above zero in Dallas, and an ice storm had blown in. My dad had died a couple years earlier, and there's a story there um, that out of that desperation, after my dad had died, I was walking home from another car wreck, separated from my second wife, and walking home in the rain from a car I'd borrowed and wrecked it. And I called out to God. I says, why did you take my dad from me when I need him so much right now? And I suddenly had this knowing. I said, and this knowing that whatever power allowed dad to stay sober was now available for me. What I didn't realize, I'd taken step one and two. Walking home that night, but I didn't know anything about Alcoholics Anonymous. It'd be three. And so I had an honest, desperate desire to stop drinking. Only took me three more years to get to Alcoholics Anonymous. For those three years, I never took a drink I wanted. It was absolutely horror. Because I knew I was drinking against my will. Fast forward 1983, I was transferred down to Dallas by the architectural firm I was with to do work down here, right where there's a church on one corner and an AA group on the other one. I, you know, God just trapped me when he sent me to Dallas. <laughs> uh, so I was going home to see him. I decided I'd go home. I had this old white station wagon uh, that uh, was an old AMC Woody, you know, I just, just had 95 or 100,000 miles on it. I, as a matter of fact, I sold it to Schaefer's for $95 the next year. So a guy <laughs> at our group. Um, and so I was driving home uh, on that and into the snow and the ice. Uh, and there's 60 mile an hour wind blowing at me. And I was driving into it 60 miles an hour. Uh, and it was five below zero when I got to the Oklahoma border and 12 below, 15 below zero when I got to Illinois. I could drive for about 45 minutes or an hour. I'd have to stop, put gas in the car, get hot coffee, wrap my hands and feet because the heater wasn't capable. Um, and being an old Yankee, I had plenty of clothes in the car. So I get there about 1, one o'clock in the morning. I pull into Lincoln, Illinois, where I went to high school. And my mom was there, and I went in, and we sat down. And, and you know, I was you know, you know, it was still super cold. Uh, so I went in and sat down and went to bed. And all of a sudden, I had this knowing. I got up and... I thought I was going to explode. Uh, so I just said, God, please don't let me die. Mom got up. I went out in the, in the pantry, tried to find something to drink. All she had was an old bottle of wine that had been so long it had dust on it, which is, I don't comprehend dusty liquor bottles, dusty <laughs> wine bottles. But I chugged that half a bottle of wine and did nothing. Rushed me to the hospital. Wasn't having a heart attack. They figured I just OD'd on all that caffeine I was drinking. Plus, you know, it had been a couple hours, several hours since I had a drink. So we came back home. Uh, it was, you know, actually, it's so cold. You know, how cold was it? It was so cold between Christmas Day and New Year's Eve of 1983. What I didn't know is that drink I took at 1.30 in the morning at Christmas Day of 1983 was going to be my last drink. I didn't realize that. So from there to New Year's Eve, I went up to see this girlfriend I had in Peoria, Illinois, that I've been lived with off and on. There's another whole story there, too. <laughs> um, and so we were at her house, and we decided to go to a New Year's Eve party. Again, 15 below zero. It was so cold, I didn't go out and get any alcohol. Um, and so we were sitting in her house, uh, and she said, we want to go to this New Year's Eve party. She happened to pick up my wallet, started thumbing through it, and found this name of a young lady. Uh, and I'd been telling her I wasn't unfaithful to her, and I hadn't been drinking. And suddenly she knew I was lying. Uh, and all of a sudden, I just went into a fetal position on the floor, and, and, and I couldn't lie anymore, and I told her I was drinking, and I was being unfaithful, and, and I knew I wasn't a good architect, I wasn't a good husband, I wasn't a good father, I wasn't a good son, I was just a drunk, and I knew it to the bottom of my soul, and everything just scooped out of me, I was just sitting there cold on the floor, and I was kind of in shock, 
And so the next day we get up, needless to say, I slept on the couch that night. Uh, next day she said, you want to go to church? I said, sure. So we go to this church. She'd never been there before. Uh, just one she happened to go to. She doesn't usually go to church on New Year's Day. She just wanted to go this day. We pulled up. It was a church I had designed when I had my little architectural firm in Peoria. Mm. And she didn't know that. I didn't know where she was going. We pulled it in. You know, she was an Al-Anon. There's a story there. She's an Al-Anon. I'm an alcoholic. We always get there 10 minutes late every place we go. Uh, and so we pull in, and the same pastor was there, a guy named Phil Mayer was there. And he stopped the sermon when we came in. He says, oh, what a glorious day. Our architect is back. And everybody turned around and said, hi, Tom. Hi, Tom. You know, and I'm still in shock, you know. And, wow. you know, I'm just this emotion kind of all over me, and I just— couldn't say anything, so I sat down. He returned to his sermon. His sermon that day was, the longest distance in the world is a distance from your head to your heart. He knew exactly what he was talking about. He knew exactly, and it touched me, and, and I started to cry, and I couldn't get out of it. I went to my car, hopped to my car, drove back to Dallas, Texas. Um, that was on a Monday, and Tuesday I went to my first AA meeting. Wow. And so it just, you know, it just, that what if, the what if, the what if, the what if. You know, what if it was a different church? What if it was a different time? What if it was a different sermon? I don't know. Okay, so you get to your first AA meeting. Yeah. Was it just all peachy from that time on? Uh, I can't say it was peachy. Um, Did it get better? It was deliberate and and linear. I would take my big book. They gave me, the very first meeting was a Tuesday night. It was a matter of fact. Went up there for the six thirty meeting. The intergroup sent me to the wrong club. They sent me, uh, they sent me to Dallas North instead of the one that had the six thirty meeting. Uh, so I went up there, and there's some kids in the office, and I said, "I'm here for the six thirty meeting." And says, "We don't have a six thirty. We have a six. But don't go away. We have another one at eight. They sat me down. One kid ran and got me a cup of coffee. Another kid ran and got me a big book. And here it says, "Read this until the eight o'clock." And I read where it says, you know, alcoholics are men and women that like uh, like drink because they like the effect produced by alcohol. They're restless, irritable, and discontented. Uh, that's my whole life story. So I stayed for the eight o'clock meeting. Picked up, uh, gave me a desire. They said, I, I said, my name's Tom Hanahan. I guess I'm alcoholic. Everybody clapped. You know, yay, Tom. Yeah. You know, <laughs> really bizarre. Uh, and so. From then on, and, and for probably the first couple of years, I would, you know, I still had my job, you know, so I'd show up in my little three-piece suit, you know, young businessman, and I'd show up, and I'd, ha I'd hold my big book across my chest, because I was afraid if I laid it down, I'd get drunk. I was afraid if I missed a meeting, I'd get drunk. I was afraid if I didn't do what you told me, I'd get drunk. Um, and I had the gift of desperation. So I was desperate to do this thing. Uh, the job continued to go okay, and you know, and and some of the prayer stuff starts sitting in there. But uh, I just immersed myself in Alcoholics Anonymous. I didn't know too many people in Dallas, so if I had nothing to do, I just go sit at the club by myself sometimes because the AA club was always open and it was safe. Mm -hmm. That's where I spent most of my time. So that was in 1983. Yeah, it was. We went right early '84, Christmas Day '83. This oh, yeah, is January yeah. of '84. Yeah. Gotcha. And so. What, so were you, uh, uh, talk to me about your relationships at the time. So had you been married at that? I'd already been married twice. I was separated from my second wife. Uh, and there's a story there on amends that, that we probably don't have time to go into, but uh, I was separated from her at the time. I was down here. That relationship with that woman, the, the girlfriend back in Peoria, uh, uh, I would I was living with her basically back in Peoria. Her boss bought this business in Peoria 
he was from New Jersey and made her president so he could come back and be with her because she was his girlfriend too. Uh, And so whenever he was coming back to town, I have to move out. And then when he went back to Jersey, I'd move back in. So that was my permanent relationship at the time. That was about as good as it got, you know? And so, and so those relationships were just, you know, I, I used to say after my second wife left me uh, and rightly so, she probably saved my life when she left me because it forced me to my bottom. And I had got a chance to share that with her last year. Um, last year? Yeah. Okay, was, well, let's talk about that real quick. Okay, so, I was at my daughter. I got down here about six or seven years later. My wife, who was working for a hospital in, in Peoria, got transferred down here by a new job that she'd taken. So she and my daughter come down to Arlington. And so, you know, I moved to Texas and all my exes, you live somewhere else. So I'm in Texas. <laughs> but suddenly one of my exes gets moved, to, you know, an hour away from me. So we start having this kind of relationship. We were at my daughter's uh, birthday party in 2019. I think it was 2019, probably the last time we were together. Uh, and one of her friends was there, one of my wife's friends. And her friend's son opened a bunch of restaurants called The Keg. And so she said, my son opened a new keg today. And so I jokingly said, well, I've done that a few times myself. You know, got a little chuckle out of people. Uh, my ex-wife said, well, Tom used to drink a lot. He doesn't drink anymore, which led to a discussion about recovery, a little recovery. And I saw my wife was real quiet. And so um, and she, I looked at her and she says, Tom, we didn't know what to do with you. She said, nobody in my family ever had that problem. We had no idea what to do with you in those days. And I said, Sherry, you probably saved my life when you left. Because, you know, it brought me to my knees and got me in recovery. And I saw 25 years of confusion and guilt fall off of her in an instant. Mm. And I think that's the day I made my final amend to her. Mm. So it was really special. Oh, sweet. Yeah, it was good. Okay, so then let's go a little bit more after you've gotten sober up to that point. I mean, take me through any highlights, milestones, whatever you want to talk to me about within the steps during that time. Uh, I started, I didn't get a sponsor until uh, I was about nine, eight or nine months sober. And I got Reno John. He spoke at our club yes, and he's my sponsor. I don't know if you know this, but he's been on this podcast probably five, six times, yeah. something. Like and that. so I would, uh, he would haul me around with him till he'd go to do steps and things. And so I was the second person he sponsored. The other guy was Wally P from, from California. He'd be a great guy to get on there too. Uh, Wally P and he and I are both sober both still sober. Uh, and so uh, I'd hang around with Reno John. And and so I started getting in the habit of prayer. And so my job was going terrible. You know, I, 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 the guy that was in charge of our office down here, I felt didn't like me, didn't appreciate me. So I talked to my, you know, to John, my sponsor, and I told him about that. And he says, Tom, you don't have a job problem, which has a God problem in the area of employment. Pray mm-hmm. about it. Same thing with my car. You don't have a car problem, which you have as a God problem in the area of transportation. You don't have a woman problem, which you have as a God problem in the area of relationships. Pray about these things and see what kind of solution God has. So I called my friend back in Illinois who had hired me to that firm that sent me down here. And he said, no, it's not your imagination. The partner doesn't like you. It's not, it's not personal. He just doesn't like you. He didn't like artistic designers. He's an engineer. He thinks that we architects are worthless. There's no need to pay us. And he says, not your imagination. So I started praying about that job. And the next day, I'd always had a copy of the Serenity Prayer hanging over my desk for 20 years. Didn't know where it came from. Uh, and so next day, I went in and so I, I said, God, if you want me to keep this job, I'll keep it. If you want me to leave, I'll leave. 
The next day I went in, it was okay. Nothing changed, but I was better. About two weeks later, I get a call from a classmate of mine that I happened to run into somewhere, and he was working for a firm in uh, Park Cities, the hoity-toity part of Dallas, um, and he's working with this firm, and they were doing these big houses. I used to drive around Dallas. I said, God, I'd love to do those sometimes. That would be so fun. We well, called me and asked me if I'd like to do some moonlighting. I said, sure. So I went and started doing a little moonlighting with them, and within another couple of weeks, they offered me a job to be head of their residential design department doing those big houses here in Dallas. Mm-hmm. His name was Jim Auger. The name of his, his company was Auger Associates. My business card had AA on it. <laughs> <laughs> you know? and so, so I had this old car, that one that it got finally gave to Bob, sold to Bob. Um, I had this old car, and it was you know, breaking up. And so I needed another car and I had a job. One, one of my jobs gave me a car to drive, so I didn't need it. So that's when I sold it to Bob. And then I got laid. I did so good. They laid me off at that job. You know, and the guy told me, you're doing great, but we can afford to have it done out cheaper. And so I needed a car. There's a guy named Wade R in Dallas North and he owned a used car lot. And he was going to do this new little building. So I said, well, we'll just, I'll do some architecture for you if you'll sell me a car. He mm-hmm. said, sure. Uh, so he we went out there and did the work. And he says, how much you want to pay? I said, cheap or less? <laughs> and so we went out back, and there's this old black 1978 Oldsmobile 88, black on the outside, black velour on the inside. And it was just like a pimp mobile. It was great. I just loved it. <laughs> so I bought this car, and he wrote up the paperwork. And he had to do it twice. Uh, because he made a mistake the first time. So I remember to this day, I remember sitting at his desk and it came out to $1,672. I managed to save just a little bit of money. Uh, so I wrote him a check for $1,672. And I've been praying about a car. So I went back to my house. There in the mailbox was a tax refund check for $1,672. Wow. <laughs> you know, that's not drama. You know, that's not SWAT teams. That's when God says, Tom, I'm taking care of the little stuff too. Yeah. You know, God's personal. He's not only public, you know, with work through those. He's personal. He takes care. Of, that's when I'm really amazed. When he parts the Red Sea and calls down fire from heaven, you know, you expect that. I don't expect him to give me a business card with AA on it. I don't expect him within a few weeks to give me the, a car that I drove for, that I just loved. You know, I, I don't expect those personal things, but that's that's when God becomes real. A guy in a meeting one day said, what if God's not an idea? What if God's real and not just an idea? And I thought, God, that changes everything. And so I started expecting God to be real and expecting him to respond to my prayers, and it started to happen. And the little things, to this day, it's the little things that's completely overwhelmed me when he answers my little prayers. I'm sitting here looking at you face to face, as you know, while you're uh, telling me your your story and we're talking. And I, I just, you know, I'm I'm really, first of all, I'm, I'm uh, wrapped up in the words that you're saying, uh, but also... You look so Irish. It is just <laughs> incredible. Yeah. You've got the, what do you call it, ruddy skin? Yeah, the ruddy skin. One of my clients is, oh, a red-faced Irishman. That's me. <laughs> <laughs> you look like a, a tall leprechaun. And I, and I, I mean that, that in a very complimentary yeah. way. And know? the white hair. Yeah. We've had white hair. Our family, your hair goes white early. And so I couldn't wait to my... <laughs> Uh, when the winter, when I wear my black turtleneck, I call it my Irish poet look. You know? <laughs> <laughs> Your Irish poet look. <laughs> okay, so 
let's then talk about your Okay, so you have a, you know, there's a lot of people that are listening to this, like I said, all four corners of the world. And there are people that are, they're struggling. Yeah. Um, You know, I mean, they they don't have 38 years or, you know, sober, um, or 37 years sober. And, And, and they're thinking to themselves, well, yeah, that guy can talk, but, you know, he's 37 years sober now, but... I'm out here struggling, and so, and I'm thinking about it from the, that person that, yeah. that that's listening. Can you, can you share any experience, strength, and hope in that arena? Yeah, I, I I tell the young guys I work with now, it's a lot easier to get 37 years in 37 days. Mm-hmm. You know, it's just it's tough in the beginning. Yeah. You know, you just have to change everything, and I just hang on to your backside with both hands and and wait for the day to get over, and and you just do, but. Uh, one of the things I found out in my inventory, my first first step about fears, and John took me through that. I suddenly, I was afraid of tomorrow. I feared tomorrow because tomorrow was going to be like yesterday, and yesterday sucked, you know. So I presumed tomorrow was going to suck too. So it was hard to get through that. And suddenly, I had a few days sober. Suddenly, I remember when I had ten days sober. I was in this little sauna, the office building I was in. I was working out a little bit and trying to get my mind together. And they said to be grateful for 10 things. Make a list of 10 things you're grateful for. And all I could think of was day one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten. 10. Mm-hmm. And I stayed grateful enough to get day 11. Um, and so this, I suddenly realized one day at a time, I'm building a new past. You know, I hang on to this day. Now suddenly, when I look, I've got 17 years of drinking and seven days of sobriety. But I got seven days from which to project into the future now. And pretty soon that seven becomes 30. Pretty soon that 30 becomes 90. And what I do every day that I stay sober gives me more opportunity and a higher probability of staying sober tomorrow. I say, today is tomorrow's yesterday. So if I put a good day together today, I don't have to regret yesterday. Because yesterday was a sober day. And there's only one way through it, one day at a time. Just don't pick up don't i say don't drink don't shoot any drugs and don't run off with somebody else's wife you know (laughs) and you'll make it through the day (laughs) don't drink don't shoot any drugs and don't run off with somebody else's wife yes (laughs) if you avoid those things you might have a pretty good day (laughs) and you got a good shot at tomorrow got a good shot at tomorrow that's great well, listen, this is, I've, I've absolutely enjoyed our time so much. Uh, and I know that you had, you know, you're saying you're not really a technology guy. Yeah, I'm not, I'm low, I'm, I still hand draw all my stuff. I'm a dinosaur. <laughs> <laughs> and, and and I know you had not done a podcast before and you're kind of, okay, well, what is this here? What are we going to do here? <laughs> was it fairly harmless? Oh, it was great. I loved it. Good. Yeah, I love the conversational aspect of it. Right. And I was kind of telling you before we started, it's kind of like when you tell your story and somebody kind of just hops up from the audience and goes, whoa, whoa, whoa. Can, can you answer some more about that? And it's kind of a back and forth. And I know you and Bob do, I guess you call them workshops. Yeah, well, I don't know. We just the two of us together did the steps together. We just call it kind of a tag team, <laughs> you know, so we just went to still and because we know each other so much, we can tag team off of each other and, yeah. and, uh, you know, our two stories dovetail. It's like my wife and I, we say between the, you know, 
she's she's a half a person i'm a half a person the two of us together make a full person uh it's kind of schaefer's and i the thing the experience he's had i did not some of the experiences i had he did not so between the two of us we pretty much get the whole base covered and one other thing i didn't ask you when did you meet your wife in sobriety <laughs> she came into alcoholics anonymous uh, she and her husband her husband came out of treatment he came into alcoholics anonymous she came in uh, a couple weeks later uh, and I was sitting in a meeting and she had just won the Farrah Fawcett lookalike contest at a local pub, <laughs> you know, about a month earlier. And she walked in all dressed to the nines and, you know, and I'm from a farm town of 150 people in Illinois. And she walked in and I says, oh my God, Toto, we're not in Kansas anymore. <laughs> you know, this is the real deal. And so we met in AA and, and ended up in, a, if you've got time for one quick Yeah, anecdote, yeah, you know, I'd love uh, We met in AA and... And, uh, and did, well, let me make sure I understood something. You said she came in with her husband? Yes. Okay, so <laughs> explain that part. Well, <laughs> she and her husband had were in, uh, you know, the, the uh, cocaine days, you know, and they're running high in, in Dallas and all the high stuff, and they were part of that, and they both came in. Um, and... And so I got to be friends with her and him both. Matter of fact, he asked me to do some. I mean, he's still a good friend of mine today. We call him my husband-in-law, you know, because we're so, we're so close. We're all big, exploded family. Uh, but she came in, and so we started hanging out together a little bit. And, you know, it started growing and growing and growing. And pretty soon we were in this full-fledged, you know, affair. You know, one of the things that Alcoholics Anonymous talks about, you know, and, and gave the club something to talk about for a long time. <laughs> And Reno John, I call Reno and he says, Tom, you know, you know what's going on there. I don't want to talk about it anymore. Don't call me about that. You know what to do. Don't call me about that. Um, and so she's, she ends up going to Florida with her husband. He was a real estate developer in the eighties when that crash hit, he and his partner moved to Florida. And so I came in the club one night and she had moved to Florida. You know, now when your girlfriend runs off with her husband, that is not a good day. You know, it's not and so that's so i just cratered i was in this little apartment and i cratered you know and so i was you know snot nosing the carpet again like i was the night i got sober and i says god you've got to take this i can't take this one more minute you know I, i'm not i'm gonna i'm gonna get drunk you've got to take this and i had another one of those knowings that moment and i just i just knew god was saying to me tom if i want you to have this there's nothing you can do to screw it up if i don't want you to have it you don't want it I think that's the night I learned to turn my will and my life over to the care of God. And I just waited one day at a time. She moved back to town. Uh, they ended up getting divorced. We got back together. Uh, we've been married 31 years now. Wow. How about that? So, And I use that same thing now in my business. If I go make a proposal on a big job, I'm an architect and a planner. And if I go with a, you know, a contractor, we make a proposal on a big thing. If God wants us to have it, we'll have it. If he doesn't, we don't want it. Mm-hmm. And so much peace comes from that. Yeah. My goodness. That's a great way to end it. I absolutely love that. Uh, thank you so much for being oh, it's here. It's an honor. Thanks, John. Thank you so much. I'm going to read from page 164 of the big book to close this out. It says, Abandon yourself to God as you understand God. Admit your faults to Him and to your fellows. Clear away the wreckage of your past. Give freely of what you find and join us. We shall be with you in the fellowship of the Spirit. And you'll surely meet some of us, like me and Mr. Tom, as you trudge the road of happy destiny. May God bless you and keep you until then. Once again, Tom, thanks for joining me. Thanks, John. 
Thank you, Tom H. And just so everyone knows, we already, we, I already have Tom H. scheduled to come back in here and do some more recording after the beginning of the year. And I am uh, looking forward to seeing him again. Would you please do me a favor? If you enjoy that, and who didn't enjoy that, pause your device and share this episode with a friend or family member. It may be just what they need today. And once again, Tom H., thank you so, so much. And now, on to a little bit of listener feedback. First things first, here we're going to give you Mr. Chris, who... Who, uh, what did he do? Oh, he sent in a voice, not sent in. How do you say this? He recorded a voicemail and it is now in my possession and you get to hear it. John, this is Chris B from Clean Air North. Just got done listening to your vacation story about Port Aransas and couldn't stop laughing. You are officially a spiritual curmudgeon. Keep up the good work, brother. Love you. Thank you, Mr. Chris B. Um, and love back at you, my friend. Uh, I, I think when he says spiritual curmudgeon, uh, first of all, I love that term. I think what Chris is referring to is when I was talking about my experience in Port A and just basically kind of uh, uh, being a curmudgeon. <laughs> but I love that term. Uh, I think I was complaining about, I don't know, aquariums and stuff like that. I can't even remember what it was. But thank you so much for writing in, or, or excuse me, sending in a voicemail, Mr. Chris B. Now, on to Miss Patricia. And I absolutely love this particular uh, uh, bit of feedback. Patricia writes in, and she says, Hola, mi amigo. Quanto gusto in salutatory saigo. Es cuando cada uno de tus postcast y sentimiento acompañante de en cada paso de este Camino, gracias. <laughs> well, I understood hola, mi amigo, and I understood gracias. And I believe Camino is a type of car in the United States. But nonetheless, I had to take that one <laughs> to a translator. It was not, not an actual real person translator, but to Google Translator. And Google Translator says, this means, hello, my friend. How glad I am to greet you. I continue listening to each of your podcasts and feeling accompanied every step of the way. Thanks. And so I wrote a Patricia back and I said, you're killing me here. How am I going to figure out what this means? And she said, big laugh out loud. She was just, uh, I think she was laughing that she knew I would struggle with that tremendously. But anyway, Patricia, thank you for sending it. Patricia is a long listener of the program and she says that she helps to learn English by listening to my silly podcast. Can you imagine? 
<laughs> I think it's great though. All right. Summer writes in and she says, hi, John, can you please provide me the list that you were speaking about on the podcast, a list of members willing to speak at a Zoom meeting? Thank you, Summer. Yes. And I sent that out to her. And if there's anybody else out there who wants that list, just email me, John, J-O-H-N at SoberSpeak.com. It's just a lot of people who have been on the podcast who are willing to share their experience, strength, and hope. Uh, and uh, I can send you a list of their names and email addresses and just be nice when you contact them. All right. James writes in, and this one is entitled amends. He says, Hey John, this is James H. Uh, August 17th of 21 Memphis, Tennessee. I've written you before and you read my email on your show. I really appreciated it and hope that it helped or will help someone out there. Thank you so much for everything that you do. Your podcast helped me help bring me back in. You are my Eskimo, John. I'm currently going through my amends process and working steps 10 through 12. I heard on one of your podcasts, a woman talking about, oh yeah, I remember this, abortions and writing letters to the children as a form of amends. That is something that I'm very much interested in because abortion is part of my story. I'm sure that, what's up, buddy? Oh, dinner's ready. I'll be right down. <laughs> Love you. Come here. Just say, uh, just say hi, everybody. Hello, everybody. And say, um, what, what else do you want to say? Uh, you, just tell them that you are, say, I'm a great kid. I'm a great kid. Because my dad tells me so. Because my dad tells me so. That's right. Mm-hmm. All right. I'll be done in just a second. Okay. Love you. Um, all right. So let, let me finish this up here. So I got caught. Oh, I'm going through my amends process, working on 10 through 12. And he heard of somebody talking about uh, writing letters as a form of amends. This is something that I'm very much interested in because abortion is part of my story, he said. I'm sure that men and women have different experience with abortion. If you know anyone who I could get in touch with to share their experience, strength, who share their experiences, men or women, I would greatly appreciate it. They can email me at such and such. He gave me his contact information. And I hope, and then he says, I hope uh, very much to get to meet you and Reno John face to face one day. You both saved my life. Well, you can either come to our event that we're having, James, or you both saved my life. You know, every once in a while, I just read those things and I'm thinking, did I just read that? Yeah, I, you know, I'm, I, I know I didn't save his life, uh, but gosh, just that even says that. Uh, God bless you, James. Nonetheless, um, as you know, James, I got you in touch with Jenny, who was the one who talked about that on an episode. And I got out of the middle, and I'm sure you guys are uh, are able to talk. And I'm ho- I'm glad that she's able to share her experience, strength, and hope with you. Thanks for writing in, James. Scott B. writes in, and Scott says, Hey, John, I just started listening. Uh, Thank you. I have been in and out of AA for years. Your podcast really helps me between meetings as I drive. I'm doing a step four right now. Thank you again, Scott. P.S. I live in Katy, Texas, but travel to Dallas often. I will try to get to a meeting to meet you one day. Well, come on down, Scott. We'd love to have you. And I'm glad that we can be of uh, service while you're out there driving. Jackie writes this. She says, hi, John. I live in Minnesota. I'm 21 days 
AF. I think I know what the AF means. I think that means uh, AF sober. Anyway, she says I'm going through an uh, I'm going through an online program called Reframe. It's the first program I've I've ever done, and my first to openly admit that I have AUD, alcohol use disorder. I was a functional drinker. I've been listening to the program for the past few days. Uh, in various ones, they are also insightful. I will continue to listen. Well, thank you, and good luck in your program reframe. I've not heard of it, but I hope it helps. Christopher DMs on the IG. That, for you uncool people, means he wrote me a direct message in the application of Instagram. He says, hey, John, you're doing a great job. I'm really enjoying the speakers that you source. Rich B and David G, what can I say? Sending you love and greetings from your friends and service in Australia, AA. My group is Saturday Night Big Book, A Vision for You, 6 o'clock in... Oh, Karen's CSO. I hope I got the location right. But anyway, Christopher, thank you so much for writing in. And hello to all the Aussies out there. And uh, this is last but not least, and I got to get down to dinner. Hello, John. My name is Scott. Obviously, I'm from Northwest. Oh, obviously, I guess is what he says. I'm from Northwest Arkansas. First, I want to thank you for putting me in contact with Charlie P. of Austin. We have talked and I am attending a Zoom meeting on Wednesday nights. I also enjoyed Emily Yu. Emily Yu is fantastic. If you haven't heard that, go back and listen to her. I believe her and I are probably from the same town or real close to each other as I grew up in Northeast Oklahoma where the wind comes sweeping down the range in the heart of Cherokee Nation. I He didn't put the song in there. That was just me. Anyway, put love the podcast. I am lucky that I can listen to it during work. Rich B was great. I don't have much to say tonight. I do, however, have one thought. At the end of each pod, oh, no, no, he's talking about, not at the end of it, but at the beginning of it. You use the phrase, take what you want and leave the rest on the curb. Uh, so how my alcoholic minds work is if I take what I want, I'm going to take the easy stuff, you know, steps one, two, three, and then leave the hard stuff. Steps four through nine on the curb. I understand what you're saying, my friend. He says, uh, anyway, uh, I, by all means, am not trying to tell you how to operate your show. That's just one phrase I have never liked. In my mind, it gives me an out for the things that I do not want to do. Anyhow, keep up with the good work and I will continue to listen. Scott. Well, Scott from Northwest Arkansas, I get what you're saying. I do. I completely understand. All right, everybody. That is the end of Uno Mas episode. Uh, Hopefully we'll be back next week. Like I always say, I take this one week at a time. God bless you. Uh, if you have anything that you need to write to me about, John, J-O-H-N at SoberSpeak.com. As always, I appreciate y'all listening, listening in. Keep coming back. It works if you work it.